Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this December 15, 2016 edition. We are flying through the month of December, and we're on the heels of 2017. Thank you for tuning in to the broadcast today. Before I get started, I just want to quickly let people know that if they go subscribe to my YouTube channel right now, your name's going to be entered into a draw for one of 25 books. That's right, a personally signed copy of Power Prayers. So make sure you do subscribe to my YouTube, follow me on Twitter, and like our Weekend Vigilante Facebook page. You'll see up on the right-hand side on the pink bar, the social media icons. All those icons are up at the top right of weekendvigilante.com. And I want to just remind people that this broadcast is listener-supported, so support this ministry financially. Although I very much appreciate one-time donations, it is very hard to create a budget on one-time donations. So do consider signing up for a monthly reoccurring donation. And I thank you in advance for that. Well, and I want to get right into today's teaching. It's really something that's been on my heart for a couple of weeks, especially when I found out there's a movie coming out about this topic and feel like people need to understand what this is all about. So today I'm going to be talking about The Shack, my analysis on it, because there's a movie adaption of The Shack directed by Stuart Hazeldean. It's scheduled for release just in a couple months in March 2017. It stars Sam Worthington and of course Tim McGraw is going to be in this as well. So there you go, a big blockbuster movie coming out. So after reading The Shack, and I did read the book, I'm convinced the purpose of the author is, you know what it is? To destroy faith in Father God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. I am convinced, and you might have read that book and went, mm, I disagree, Sheila, but at least listen to what I have to say, and then you decide if you agree with me or disagree. Because I know there's a lot of people that became very emotionally attached to The Shack. Why do I know that? Well, as of February of this year, The Shack sold 18 million copies. So there are plenty of Christians who have read that book. And trust me, I know people that loved that book, and it's very difficult for them to detach themselves enough to look at what I'm saying objectively. But we're going to get into that. So the book is The Shack. It's by William Young. William P. Young is the author. And I just find it ironic, last week I did a teaching on Jesus Calling by Sarah Young, and this is William Young. I did actually check to see what her husband's name was to make sure that this isn't a couple, but it says her husband's name is Steve. I never did find out who William Young's wife is, but I do know William Young lives in Oregon, and so they don't live in the same states anyway. But who knows? You never know. Anyway, on with the shack. Set in the American Northwest, the main character is Mackenzie Allen Phillips, a father of five called Mac by his family and friends. Four years prior to the main events of the story, Mac takes three of his five children on a camping trip to Wallowa Lake near Joseph, Oregon, stopped at a falls in the way, and two of his children were playing in a canoe, and it flips and almost drowns Mac's son. So here Mac, he goes and saves his son, he rushes to the water, he frees him from the canoe's webbing, but he unintentionally leaves his youngest daughter, Missy, alone at their campsite. And when he returns, he sees that she is missing. The police get called, and the family discovers that Missy's been abducted and murdered by a serial killer known as the Little Lady Killer. Her bloodied clothing is found, but her body's not located, 
and then Mac's life sinks into what he calls the great sadness. As the novel begins, Mac receives a note in his mailbox from Papa saying that he would like to meet with Mac the coming weekend at the shack. Mac's puzzled by the note. He has no relationship with his abusive father since he left home at age 13, so he suspects that the note may be from God, whom his wife Nan refers to as Papa. Mac's family leaves to visit relatives, and he goes alone to the shack. He enters the shack. He encounters manifestations of the three persons of, quote, the Trinity. God the Father takes the form of an African-American woman, and I don't mean Oprah, who calls herself Eloisa. Jesus Christ is a Middle Eastern carpenter, and the Holy Spirit physically manifests itself as an Asian woman named Sarayu. So the bulk of the book really narrates Mac's conversations with Papa, or God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit as he comes to terms with Missy, his daughter's death, and his relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mac also has various experiences with each of them. Like in one scene, he walks across a lake with Jesus. He sees an image of his Father in heaven. And at the end of this visit, Mac goes on a hike with God, who shows him where Missy's body was left in a cave. After spending the weekend at the shack, Mac leaves and is so preoccupied with his thoughts that he's nearly killed in an automobile accident. So after his recovery, he realizes that he did not, in fact, spend the weekend at the shack, but that his accident occurred on the same day that he arrived at the shack. Anyway, bottom line is he leads the police to the cave that God revealed, and they find Missy's body still laying there. And with the help of forensic evidence discovered at the scene, the lady killer, that serial killer, was arrested and put in jail. William Young originally wrote the shack as a Christmas gift, he said, for his six children, with no apparent intention of publishing it. And after letting several friends read the book, he was urged to publish it for the general public. Startup funds were supplied by Brad Cummings, president of Windblown Media, who put in the money to publish the book. In July 2010, the Los Angeles Times reported that this shack had spawned a tangle of lawsuits over the royalties and even the book's authorship. And there was also a lot of pastors who did speak out against this book. But because it's becoming a movie, I really want to get into my thoughts on this book. Now, one of the author's quotes are from non-Christian philosophers. On the front cover, Eugene Peterson, the author of The Message, praises the shack. And I think it's important to note that Peterson's The Message greatly changes the Bible and its major themes even regarding Jesus Christ's divinity. The message very much parallels the NIV and the New American Standard Bible, which, for example, changes John 3.16 from Jesus being the only begotten Son of God to being God's one and only Son. The change does away with Jesus fulfilling the prophecy of his virgin birth. Daniel 3.25 in the message changes the King James from saying regarding the three Hebrew children it changes the King James Version from saying, this is regarding the three Hebrew children, the fourth man was like to the Son of God. It changes that to the fourth man was like a son of the gods. That's very pagan philosophy. So let's get into the shack. The author of the shack does not even claim to be Christian. That's important to start out with that. The shack refers to no scriptures, by the way. It's endorsed by Plain Truth Magazine, which was founded by Herbert Armstrong, who was head of the Worldwide Church of God. 
Well, it's long been recognized as a cult that teaches unsound doctrine, but that's a whole other show. The Shack is also highly endorsed by Patrick M. Roddy, a producer for the very liberal ABC News, and it's significant to note that ABC is openly pro-homosexual, and it's been very anti-Christian. But the foreword on page 13, the author actually says he's not sure if all this story is true or not. So from the beginning, the author intentionally sends mixed signals that much of the story, it might be true. It portrays what the author believes that God and the truth ought to be, rather than what the Bible says about God and truth. He creates his own God and presents his own theology, which is a stew. It's this eclectic mishmash of many doctrines. And this is very similar to what I've covered in other kinds of things, like, of course, Jesus Calling, the very New Age devotional, which similarly to The Shack has sold millions of copies. And I'm going to show you, this book does espouse the philosophy of the New Age. And I think this does tie very much into the purpose of facilitating bringing about a one-world religion under the United Nations. It always ties into that theme, though, doesn't it? You know, and, and this is really interesting how the story opens by telling of Mac's dysfunctional relationship with his father, who is portrayed as a Bible-touting, beer-drinking child abuser, essentially. It kind of opens up with this story of the camping and how the little girl, he's looking for her deep in the woods, and he finds her bloody dress and discovers that she's been brutally murdered. Well, instantly, it opens the reader up to this horrifying, emotional roller coaster as you are watching this thing play out with this little girl. She's abducted and murdered, and the father, you know, looking for her, and he's in agony and guilt for not protecting his young daughter. Well, then he begins to question God. So it uses really skillful psychology to manipulate the rawest of human emotion, deepest pains, regrets, and disappointments that most people have suffered in one way or the other, even bitterness and disappointment that people have had lying dormant for years. He begins to exploit them with his own theological analogy about God and about truth. His thinking questions the God and Jesus of the Bible. It plays to the carnal mind. The shack, I believe, operates in the realm of the emotions, but it's also very steeped in mysticism and superstition. And I'll tell you what, this book presents a whole other Jesus. And what were we warned in the Bible? This seems to be a theme, doesn't it? 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen For he that cometh preaching another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which we have not received, or another gospel. The book is really very similarly to Jesus' calling, is emphasizing seeking spiritual experiences with God. Those experiences are taking the place of biblical truth. And yet the shack disguises itself as a spiritual book. Oh, it's a spiritual book, all right but it's not from the Spirit of God. And the greatest deception about the book is that it makes references to things the Bible talks about while at the same time discounting the Bible itself. It's it's a bait and switch. Don't forget Jesus' temptation. Satan very subtly misuses scriptures and quotes them in an effort to try to deceive Jesus. What does it say in Revelation 18.23 referring to Satan? For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Well, let's talk about the God of Shaq, shall we? The Shaq completely redefines God. First of all, it follows the popular trend of creating gender confusion and applying it to God. Because the God of the Shaq is a goddess, a large black woman. Why? 
well, historically female deities known as goddesses like the great goddess Gaia, as I talk about in my book Green Gospel, they're found in all pagan religions. The Greeks, the Romans, the Mayans, the Aztecs. The feminization of God is what the feminist movement has really been trying to do for years, even making a feminist translation of the Bible, which refers to God as she, the Queen James Bible. Get that. Yeah, I'm not joking about that. Look it up. What do they want to do all the time? They want to take the Bible and completely get rid of those phrases like sodomy. How dare it say the word whore? We got to get rid of this thing. They've actually taken the word he out of the Bible in a lot of places. And I did a show actually called New World Order Bible Translation. It really lays that out good. And that's a whole other show. So you can see this whole thing in the shack where there's a real feminization of God. And again, this is what the feminist movement's been trying to do for years with Diana, Maya, Gaia, Sami Ramos, Ishtar. It's all the same thing. What's really interesting is later the shack goddess switches and becomes a man depending on if you need a mother or father figure. And I want to be very clear, God is not a cross-gender transvestite, half male and half female. That's found in Hinduism. That's a God named Shiva, actually, a God who's half male and half female. So we got to be very careful what we're embracing. The point here is the author plays mind games throughout the book with the reader using semantics by calling his female God goddess, and by the male term Papa, it's it's a weir- really weird interweaving and attributing God with very human-like attributes. Papa, that's an endearment term, you know, that we usually call our grandpa or our dad. But it's like putting God on our own human level and becoming equal with him. And there's nowhere in the Bible that ever refers to God as being a mother of any kind. Father God is repeatedly in the scripture. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. I could do a whole show on just that. So not only does the author play the gender card of God in defiance of the scripture, but he also introduces the racial card. He says that Mac thought that God would be white on page 86 there. Again, there's this whole theme, oh, you know, we don't want to comment on anything like that because after all, we're a racist. God created all sorts of people. Race is a non-issue for God. Now, what's really interesting is John 1, 18 says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. The shack has Max seeing God in person. And God is the Spirit, it says there in John four twenty four. He's not flesh and blood. What does it say there? And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And in the shack, God has big scars on his wrist, just like Jesus. The author's fantasizing here has no boundaries, but the Bible never said that God the Father was crucified. Throughout this book, there's a real minimizing of what Jesus did on the cross, his sacrifice. And you see this woven into bringing God down to the human level and having his God using colloquial language. And when you're adding things, you know, you're adding doctrines, you're adding things. Well, what does Revelation 22, 18, 19 say? If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. That's what Revelation 22, 18 to 19 tells us. But the God of the shack says that God limits himself. First Samuel 14, 6 says there's no restraint to the Lord. Yet the God of the shack says she, he, whatever he is, whatever, female or male, he likes to listen to funk and hard rock and... And this God in the shack, he's not offended at the filthy and rebellious lyrics. They don't bother him. 
Don't tell me that God enjoys the music and the lyrics of Satan. Yeah, I don't think so. It really shows that God's not angry with anything wicked. What does Psalm 711 say? God is angry with the wicked every day. Again, there's very universalist writing that's woven into this thing. The Shacks God says, it doesn't matter if you're not a Christian. It doesn't matter if you have Jesus. You know, just go with whatever you think's right. It's kind of like what the Pope says, hey, just do what you think's right. That's good enough for God. You can see this philosophy being woven into everything. God's just okay with whatever you decide. Hey, if it feels good, do it. Hey, you know, just go with your heart. What does Jeremiah 17 say about the heart? The heart is deceitful above all things. And it's not surprising all these themes really go into the verse in 2 Timothy 3.13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Well, I'll tell you what, this book is a total deceiver. And the shock portrays Jesus as being this very unattractive, big nose, clumsy klutz. The shock's God calls Jesus boy, calling Jesus boy. So ugly, big nose, boy, klutz, those are terms that greatly degrade the Messiah, the Savior of the world. This is intentionally negatively re-imaging Jesus. The shock on page 117, Max says, Jesus is less godlike of the three. That is ridiculous. Maybe the author forgot to read John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He that honoreth not the Son, honor not the Father, which has sent him. So very clearly you can see that the shock completely makes Jesus look like this bumbling idiot. And the fact that they have God just manifesting himself into human existence as he becomes fully human, that's not scriptural. And in fact, that is very antichrist. Jesus was the only one of the Godhead who became flesh. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we behold the glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And what does First Timothy tell us? God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Matthew 24, 23 warns us that if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. A vision of Jesus Christ is one thing, but literally seeing him physically, and especially the physical portrayal of this book, the shack says Jesus has no power in himself. Well, that's not what Matthew twenty-eight eighteen says. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. But on page 100, the shock says Jesus, as a human being, had no power within himself to heal anyone. Hmm, let's read what John 5.26 says. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. The shock's Jesus tells Mac, the character, I'm not a Christian. Let's listen to this right out of the book. Those who love me come from every system that exists. There were Buddhists or Mormons, Baptists, Muslims. I have followers, Americans and Iraqis, Jews and Palestinians. I have no desire to make them Christian. Oh, well, there you go. So Jesus is a secular universalist. That's really nice. The author of the shock is saying, hey, Jesus's followers, they don't believe in him. But hey, they don't believe he's the only begotten son of God, the Messiah, the Savior. You're all good to go. You don't need a Savior. Shall we read John fourteen six? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. How convenient. 
And John 3.36 sure nails it. Boy, how different the Bible is from this book. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. How convenient is it that this book absolutely, completely, not just minimizes it, not just waters it down, it completely scraps it all together. Oh, let's look at the Holy Spirit of Shak, shall we? Portrayed as an Oriental woman. And by the way, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is a spirit. It's not flesh and blood. There's no record in the Holy Bible of anyone ever seeing the Holy Spirit. Well, in the Shak, it says, you know, God doesn't have a hierarchy. There's no chain of command. In fact, on page 124, it says the Godhead is unencumbered by structure. Well, 1 Corinthians 11.3 tells us, and the head of Christ is God. John 14.28, Jesus said, for my father is greater than I. John 5.30 because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. You know, on page 122 and 123 in this shack, the Holy Spirit is just a free spirit. He doesn't interfere with anything. He doesn't even really know what he's doing. He's just, you know, he has really no purpose. He's just fluttering around aimlessly. He's like a free agent hockey player, you know, got no commitments to anyone. I mean, this is disgusting. And it really kind of plays up this whole idea that there's no real need for there to be a hierarchy in the home. No, God actually does say something about the creation of men and women and the fact that the head of every man is Christ. Well, the head of the woman is the man. The God of the shack, it rejects the Bible's own teachings. In fact, the shack's goddess seems even sexist towards males. On page 47 here, the female God of the shack says, Males seem to be the cause of so much pain in the world. I guess they didn't meet Hillary Clinton. But the point is, the Shaq's goddess says, men are such idiots sometimes. That's on page 192. And then, of course, the Shaq's Jesus says, oh, this is perfect. The world in many ways would be much calmer and gentler of a place if women ruled. Well, they would have loved Hillary to get in, wouldn't they, these Shaq people? You know, the indisputable fact that unregenerate women can be just as evil as an unregenerate man. Adam and Eve both fell. Both male and females are human and they have a sin nature. In fact, what does Isaiah 3.12 say? As for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. God does have a hierarchy. But according to the shock, marriage is just, you know, it's not an institution. It just, you know, if you're going through a rough time, it's not binding. It's just amazing liberal ideas that are woven throughout this. This is really a whole theme in the emergent church movement, isn't it? It's always incorporating these Eastern religions, mysticism, and practices of New Age into their new brand of Christianity because it's all about an experience. And that's why the Kundalini is rampant in the church. They're looking for anything that'll manifest itself, an experience. People have vulnerability and, and soft points in Christianity. And the book, The Shack, and this author, he is playing people like a fiddle. The whole book displays a biting sarcasm towards the things of God. Page 19, let's read this. The goddess of the Shack says this. What's wrong with you, Max? Still smoking too much dope? Or do you just do that on Sunday mornings to make it through the church service? Really? And I find this really interesting on page 8. It says that Mac as a boy was beaten with a belt and Bible verse every time his dad woke up from his drunken stupor. Mac has this love-hate relationship with religion and with the God of the Bible. The Bible is a stumbling block for a relationship, according to the author of the shack. 
he's really promulgating this idea. He's propagating this view that the Bible, it's a false and damaging book about God. And over and over, the God of the shack talks about conversations with God that contradict the scripture. He even says, the God even says there he's not confined to some book with ink and paper. He actually infers there's a higher knowledge in the Bible. It's just like Sarah Young. That's what she said. She was looking for more. Oh, you're going to get more, all right. You know what's happening, folks? The Eastern religions are being subtly mixed in with Christianity. And Carla Butad gave me an excellent analogy. We were sitting there and she said, what if I just put one drop of poison in your water? Would you drink it? She said, if I just had a little dropper and I put one little drop of poison, would you drink it? And I said, no, the whole thing has become contaminated. She said, but it's 99% good, Sheila. One little drop of doubt, one little drop of questioning God. On page 205, the goddess of Eshach says, you won't find the word responsibility in the Bible, inferring that we don't have to be responsible. I'll tell you what, the word responsibility may not be in the Bible, but it teaches responsibility in the words of it. In fact, Luke twelve forty eight says, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. You know what the shack teaches? It teaches one can have a relationship with God without the Bible. You can have a relationship without truth. The goddess or God at some point of the shack says that good and evil, they're relative. There's no absolutes. That is a pagan theology. On page 202, the Jesus of the shack says there are no Ten Commandments. We're free from the law. You know what? It's true. Jesus did free us from the law. But to go on to say there's no rules, there's no reason for righteousness. It's just a free-for-all. Let's read this on page 202. The shack's goddess says, Why do you think we came up with the Ten Commandments? Actually, we wanted you to try to be righteous on your own. But many think that righteous are following the rules. Wait, are you saying that I don't have to follow the rules, Max says? Yes, in Jesus, you're not under the law, and all things are lawful. And you will hear and see me in the Bible in different ways. Just don't look for rules and principles. Look for a relationship, a way of coming to us. When you accept Jesus, you're righteous no matter what you do. Wow, does that ever open the scriptures up to exotic revelations and interpretations that are not rightly dividing the word of truth, people. This is exactly what the pagan religions teach, and it's a reason why the world is living hell. What does First John 2.29 say? If you know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. First John 3.7, whoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. There is a righteousness requirement. But in the shack, hey, nothing to see here. You don't need righteousness. Who needs rules or righteousness or right way of doing things? Who needs the Bible, the word of God? Eh, you just do what you think's right. The author is saying God has no law against sin. And you know what? That's exactly what many so-called Christian preachers are teaching. That is Satan talking, not God. The world without rules would be, well, you know it, total chaos. There are rules for how we drive in traffic, laws concerning crimes. But, you know, the writer's saying, eh. Who needs rules? You can have a relationship with God without the rules. That is irrational and unscriptural. Even in marriage, there are rules of faithfulness. There's house rules. There's guidelines for relationships. But this today is no rules Christianity. It has no problem with the shock's philosophy. Just do whatever you think. And you know what it says there in 1 John 2, 4? Jesus said, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. But the shacks goddess says, God is just love alone. Immorality, eh, who cares about it? It has no bearing on your relationship with God. These sins are irrelevant. Page 120, the shacks goddess tells Mac, I don't need to punish people for sin. Really? Because Matthew 25, 46 tells us, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. Ezekiel 18, 20, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. But the shacks goddess says, hey, you don't have to repent. Hmm, that's funny. Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did Peter say in Acts 2.38? Repent and be baptized. Boy, repent. I see that all over the scriptures. But the goddess of the shack, never mind about that silly old repentance. Who needs it? You decide what's good and evil on your own terms. Besides, there's no absolute of good. It's just language. You know, you can just interchange it for the word evil. Wow, really? That's on page 135. The goddess of shack says this. If there is no absolute of good... It's just language, and one might as well exchange it for the word evil. Wow, Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe unto them calling good evil and evil good. And here's the kicker on page 156. The goddess of the shag tells Mac, What? You really don't believe that God is good. This goes along with the cliche that's sung as a mantra repeated through every Christian church today. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Hmm. Well, I read in 11.22 there in Romans, Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. The shack's God, it says right there, He's not a God of wrath or judgment. Yet Romans 14.12, So then every one of us shall give an account to himself to God. God doesn't judge people like the Bible says, the shack tells us. The Bible's wrong, clearly. Well, John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Romans one eighteen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Revelation 15.1, Romans 14.10, all talking about the wrath. I could do a whole show on that alone. The great white throne of judgment, Revelation 20.12. The author of the shack declares outright that the Bible's image of God, it's just a stereotype. It's not accurate. We shouldn't judge what's right or wrong, good or bad. The shack says you can judge God, but don't judge other people. Page 162, the goddess of the shack says, there's no hell. Really? Because Luke twelve fifteen says, fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. The goddess of the shack says, this is God speaking. I don't do guilt. I don't do condemnation of anyone. Hmm. Well, it's interesting. John 8, 9 says, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience. Wow. I guess we're not convicted by our own conscience, so we can just scrap the whole book of John there too. In fact, you know what? We might as well just scrap the whole Bible. And I mean, I could go on and on all day. I could do a three-part series on this book, breaking everything down, but I think you're getting the picture. The shack, you know what it is? It's a new age change agent. It's very similar to the emergent church, a movement that mixes Eastern mysticism with Christianity, and it produces this hybrid version of Christianity, which in reality, it's not Christian. You know what? There's so many overtones in the shack of a political one world global agenda. The United Nations Millennium Conference declared its ambition to be a one world government with a one world religion. And you know what? This is exactly what this book promotes. 
As a matter of fact, the goddess of the shack is an ecologist. Well, that fits in with the United Nations' agenda to use global warming as a pretext to set up a world government, doesn't it? You know, I talk about that in my book. That was the plan of Alice Bailey, all of these guys, as a one-world central authority, a one-world climate regime. That's what the Pope is trying to set up. This is a one-world order, a one-world religion. All this kumbaya, let's join hands, you know, there's no rules, there's no reason to really even worry about the Bible. Come on now, get with the times, people. The Bible, it's a dusty old book that has just a lot of bad words like sodomy and horror. Who needs it? You know what 2 Corinthians 11.3 says? Lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. All this subtlety. The goddess of the shack says, maybe your understanding of God is wrong. How can you have discernment? The word is a discerner. Genesis 3.1 starts off with the same thing that's woven into the shack. What did Satan, disguised as a serpent, tell Eve? Hath God said? No, he didn't mean it. He flip-flops. It's the exact message the shack is giving about the word of God. It's flip-flopping, flim-flam. You don't have to worry about it because guess what? God is just a hip-hop and bebop and yo-yo. He makes a mean cup of cocoa kind of God. Do whatever you want. It has no consequence. This author of the shack, I'll tell you what, he definitely was inspired to write this book, but it wasn't God-inspired, not the God of the Bible. This shack author is an illusionist. He's working his magic on gullible, naive Christians and superstitious people. It's a fantasy novel, but it's filled with dark mysticism, folks, which is intentionally contrived to lead people away from sound biblical doctrine. And people love this. There's Christians eat this book up. The shack's thinking eventually can separate one from God, causing all sorts of things. It can open doors to demons, giving heed to doctrines of demons. This book is completely doctrines of devils. It's a cunningly devised fable. And what does Second Peter ironically say there? For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. What the author is doing in the shack is using the name of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit of the Bible, and then redefining them into what he thinks they should be, pushing aside Bible doctrine and replacing it with his own theology. And you know what that's doing? It's making a farce out of God. And that is what this movie is going to be all about. There is, as you guys know, a concerted international conspiracy against the Bible, against sound doctrine, against God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and you can see it woven through everything. Anyway, I think that any good discerning Christian can see that what I'm speaking about this book is true, and I hope if you have some big fan of this book that you do send along this teaching. We've got to be careful, folks. Don't drink the Kool-Aid here, folks. And this is exactly what a lot of these Kool-Aid-sipping mindless Christians today, they are not getting sound doctrine, and they open themselves up to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I hope you enjoyed today's teaching. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night, and God bless.